What's going on? Welcome to the AM Basketball Breakdown, where we talk everything hoops early in the morning. I'm your host, Adam Miller. It's time to hit the hardwood, so let's tip off this episode. How's it going and happy holidays. I hope you and your family had a wonderful Christmas. I'm recording this first episode of the AM Basketball Breakdown post-Christmas. A little recap of my Christmas. Woke up early in the morning with the family, did the normal thing, opened some presents, ate some cinnamon rolls, and Santa left me something special under the tree, a Victor Wimbanyama jersey. Besides the normal fanfare of Christmas morning, one of the things that I look forward to every year in the afternoon once everything is kind of settled and people have time to move their gifts and get everything organized, I just enjoy watching basketball with my dad. The NBA always has a really good slate on during Christmas, and the game that I paid attention to the most on Christmas Day was the Celtics and the Lakers. I thought that it would be helpful to give a recap of the game and share from my perspective a few things that stood out during the course of the matchup between the Celtics and the Lakers. After that, since we are almost at the midpoint of the year of the NBA season, I thought that I would give my perspective on the teams that are contenders, teams that also have moves to make, and teams that are doing really well in the regular season, but is it maybe too early for them yet to be considered in that championship conversation? Well, let's start and let's get into it for a recap of the Celtics and Lakers game. We have probably the premier matchup of the game. We have the Celtics trotting out their starting five, which has historically been one of the best lineups in the NBA. We have the Lakers with LeBron, Anthony Davis, Christmas Day matchup. We get off to a pretty quick start with the Celtics. They start with a 12-point lead. Jalen made two very impressive ISO shots very early. Derek White got two steals leading to buckets. One of the things that the Celtics have done well throughout this year and that they did early on in this game, they keep the ball moving, they keep the ball swinging, but at times they kind of go back to their destructive habits that I think could potentially inhibit them from winning a championship this year. They go cold, ball movement stops, and they go very ISO heavy, particularly with Tatum and Brown. One thing in this matchup that I think benefited the Lakers a lot was their size in the interior. They go down to Anthony Davis and they slowly start to chip away at this lead as we go into the half. Into the half, the Celtics are shooting 29% from three with only a one-point lead. I don't know if anyone listened to the ESPN broadcast at halftime, but Stephen A. Smith and I think Kendrick as well, Kendrick Perkins, were talking about how the Celtics just jack up a lot of threes. While I don't necessarily disagree with them, I believe the difference here in the game is the quality of the threes that they're taking. Most of them contested, and to my point earlier, they are lacking the ball movement that did them really well early in the game where the ball keeps moving around and it keeps swinging. They're taking less contested shots and are playing more of a free-throwing offense. As we go into the third quarter, one of the things in my mind that really needed the change, the Celtics needed to get into the paint more. They have more than enough players that are capable of doing this. Tatum can do this. Brown can do this. Drew Holiday can do this. 
and Derek White can do this. Derek White in particular had a couple key plays where he was able to penetrate in the lane and kick out to wide open shooters. In this quarter, Tatum played more of a facilitator role, which honestly, when I look through their season, they have excelled at times when he's played more of a assist man rather than trying to create his own shot. He had Hauser on a key back cut under the basket and White for a key corner three. As we go into the fourth quarter, the Celtics only clinging to a five-point lead. You look at their first half. They started off really well in the first quarter, moving the ball well, hitting shots. But again, they got stagnant with the ISO offense. Would that continue in the fourth? The Celtics continued to do what they did well at times in the fourth. They were very deliberate on getting in the paint, particularly Derek White cutting in the lane to get two easy layups in the fourth. The Celtics had a 10-point lead with about five minutes left in the quarter. They really excelled at getting the ball to the high post and passing to Tatum down low. The key for the Celtics a lot in this game and what they need to concentrate on during the season is moving the ball around and continuing to hunt the mismatch. When you're shooting threes all the time, that really takes away from the positional advantage that you would have on the court at any one given time. When I take a step back at the end of this game, I ask myself, who was the key player in this matchup? It was Jason Tatum. One of my more critiques of Tatum early on in his career, and even now as he's been in the league for a while, when his shot is falling, he's one of the best players in the league. He's a very good shot creator. He's a very good shot maker. When his shots aren't falling, though, he puts his team in a position that is very difficult to win a game. When I look at this game for him, though, his shots were not falling early, and what did he decide to do? He decided to play defense. He decided to let the offense come to him and play more of a facilitator role. When he chooses to do this, the Celtics become a very dangerous team because unlike early on in his career, he has much more talent around him and a lot more weapons around him as well. If he's not playing well, you also have Jalen, you have Kristaps now, you have Holiday, you have Derek White, and you even have Al Horford and Peyton Pritchard and Sam Hauser coming off the bench. A very complete win for the Celtics after struggling in the first half. And for the Lakers, maybe some questions to ask themselves going forward. LeBron's having a great year. Anthony Davis is having a great year. But can this team be consistent enough to contend for a title during the end of the season? Will they have enough firepower to withstand the toil that a full season brings? Are there trades that they need to make in order to compete for a championship? A lot more questions to definitely come and answer for the Lakers. I have three teams I want to talk about in this category. First up, we have the Milwaukee Bucks. Sitting with a record of 24-8, and eight, you have Damian Lillard, you have Giannis. You score a lot of points, but... When I look at the Bucks over the course of the year, one thing that potentially concerns me for a run to the finals, potentially a championship, is that they are allowing close to 119 points a game. I believe their defense has taken a significant step back. They don't have Drew Holiday anymore. You're hoping maybe Dame's offense will supplement that, but your perimeter defense is a lot weaker as well. You also signed Brooke Lopez to an extension to hope that he would continue to be a great interior defender. While I still believe he has been effective on the interior, um, blocking shots and getting rebounds, when you get closer to the end of the playoffs, particularly in the Eastern Conference, 
you're going to run into a lot of teams that have a lot of great perimeter play, whether that would be the Sixers, the Celtics, I'd even say Miami to a degree. Some additional questions that I may have for the Bucks for the end of the year and whether or not they can win a championship. I believe they're in the discussion. I believe they're one of the teams. But is Middleton going to be the same player that he was the year they won the finals? I think he probably has to be close to about 85 to 90% of that because when you have Dame at his peak and you have Giannis at, at his peak, you have a good chance to win. Also, how is Adrian Griffin going to do in his first playoff series or his first playoff run as a head coach? You saw last year a uh, coach like Joe Mazzullo that was kind of thrown into the fire right away. How is Adrian Griffin going to respond when things don't go well? That's something else that I have on my mind just for a rookie head coach. You can even tell at some points during the year he's kind of figuring things out as he goes. I had mentioned the lack of perimeter defense for them as well earlier. And I'm wondering, honestly, is there really much that they can do for their lineup to help bolster it in the playoffs for them to get better on the perimeter and defending? I'm not entirely sure because they've traded a lot of picks away for Dame, but that is something to keep in mind if there are moves that they can make in order to bolster that perimeter defense as they get closer to the playoffs. But still, one of the three teams that I have in mind to make a run for the NBA Finals. The second team on the contenders list is the Boston Celtics, my favorite team. I'll try not to be too biased. I'll point out the positives, I'll point out the negatives, and I'll point out why I think there's a chance that they may not end up winning. Right now, they have the best record in the NBA. They are at 25-6. and six. They have the fourth best offense based on efficiency and the fourth best defense based on efficiency, top five in each category. They arguably have the best starting five in the NBA with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Derek White, Drew Holiday, and Kristaps Porzingis. What potentially concerns me about the Celtics once we get closer to the playoffs is just consistency. When they are playing their best, they are arguably the team to be in this championship race. However, I think there are moments in the playoffs where Things slow down, refs aren't calling as many fouls, things get more chippy, and you need to be able to withstand that and win a game or two in the playoffs. Can the Celtics manage to do that and win in different ways? I think also you look at their team and you know you may pick up an injury in the playoffs, you may pick up an injury near the right end of the regular season. I think there are still moves for them to make as we get closer to the deadline, particularly using the Grant Williams trade exception to maybe pick up another bench piece that can help create some offense for them while you have Jalen, Jason, and the other starters on the bench. I can think of a few players that would fit in here where the Celtics could include additional picks to help compensate the trade. I think of Zach Collins, I think of Kelly Olynyk, and I think of Rose O'Neal. Zach Collins and Kelly Olynyk would provide another big that can help space the floor and grab rebounds, while Royce O'Neal would just be another 3 and D wing that could help fill in time for either Jalen or Jason while they're on the bench resting. When you look at a team's best player as well, I think of Jason Tatum on this team. Historically, you need your best player to be one of the top five guys in the league in a given playoff series. Tatum has shown promise in the playoffs in the past, but can he have a significant one to two week stretch where he is consistently the best player on the floor? 
I also think of Joe Mazzullo just as the head coach of this team. He's in his second year. This is arguably one of the most talented Celtics teams in recent history. Has he learned from his mistakes in the past year? I've still seen some things creep up early in the regular season. I think particularly with the Charlotte game early in the year where the Celtics had, I believe, an 11-12 point lead with about two minutes left. And Charlotte went on a run, cut the game close. Joe didn't make any adjustments or call any timeouts, and Charlotte ended up winning the game in overtime. So I'm just thinking of that where that's still in the back of my head just as a fan where I think Joe, um, you know, maybe should have called a timeout, should have made adjustments. So that's something I'm wondering if he's thought through, if he's been able to, yeah, just consider as you get closer to the playoffs and those games matter more. Still, the Celtics are one of the favorites to win the title, and in my book, I believe they are going to get out of the Eastern Conference and beat the Milwaukee Bucks. The last team I have on my list is the Denver Nuggets. The record of 23-11, they are at third right now in the Western Conference. Murray has been hurt for a portion of games this year, which I think has led to the record maybe not being at where it should be. Honestly, my only concern with the Nuggets, and I think this is a large reason for why they won the title this last year is just generally health. Can they be healthy for a playoff run? And also, I look at some of their depth pieces, someone like a Christian Braun stepping up. Can some of their rookies or some of their bench players help contribute? I think Peyton Watson has been good defensively at times. I think Julian Strother has provided another scoring option off the bench and additional spacing. So yeah, I think for me, the Nuggets, the big questions are health and also depth and if their bench pieces have, can contribute to another playoff run. And honestly, it feel I feel very comfortable in saying right now that they are my favorites to win the title. If healthy, uh, I think health, honestly, it's the big concern. They've done this before. They have multiple ways to score and match up well with anyone that they are going to play um, in the Western Conference until they get to the finals. I had mentioned earlier my concern with the Celtics when they have a bad game. They kind of kind of get stuck in their own way and aren't able to generate offense very quickly. I think Denver has a really good answer to that all the time with Jokic passing him the ball in the high post and having him kick out to shooters. It's a very easy way for them to score when things aren't going well. Denver is still a very complete team this year. The other top teams in the league, the concern again is health. Some of their players have missed time, and I think a fully healthy Denver team is is a team that's going to be reckoned with once we get into the playoffs. The next category of teams that I want to talk about is going to be under the category moves to make. Teams that I think have shown signs at some point of playing well enough to win a title, but I believe they are a few pieces away from winning. The first team is the Philadelphia 76ers. Moving on from James Harden early on in the year, Joel Embiid is having an MVP-like season, even better than he did last year. Tyrese Maxey is coming to his own. He's playing at an all-star and even an all-NBA level. With the Harden trade, they were able to acquire picks and also expiring high salary contracts in Robert Covington and Nick Patum. I don't know if those are two players the Sixers plan on necessarily keeping long term, but I think there are moves that they can make to help bolster their scoring as we get into the playoffs. 
The next team in my category moves to make is the Golden State Warriors. Ever since Draymond's suspension, the Warriors have been playing significantly better. Steve Kerr has been playing rookies such as Brandon Pochazemski and Trace Jackson Davis, and they have contributed well to the team. The Warriors also have several high salary guys that aren't necessarily contributing to their team right now. They can help move to get additional players and also package picks as a sweetener for teams maybe to accept. A team that I look at potentially for the Warriors to try to deal with is the Toronto Raptors. You have the salary to match and a player like Wiggins. You can maybe throw in Kaminga and pick up even a player such as Pascal Siakam to add to the Warriors. I'm not entirely sure what they would do with Draymond, but I think we have come to a point where it's time for them to move on. And I think if they are able to acquire a player, even like a Jared Allen, where the salaries match, you have additional rebounding inside and a player that you can get the ball down low that can score. Anytime you have Steph Curry on your team, you have a chance to win a title. The question for the Warriors right now is their current group good enough to win a title or do they need to make additional moves so that their pieces fit together for them to go on another championship run? My last team on the moves to make category is the Oklahoma City Thunder. Currently sitting at second in the Western Conference, they have arguably one of the best players in the league in Shea Gilgis-Alexander, the leading candidate and rookie of the year in Chet Holmgren, and Jalen Williams that can get you 18 to 20 any given night. The Thunder arguably have the best three-man young core in the league, but my concern with them would be, do they have not only enough playoff experience, but enough offensive versatility to go far in the playoffs? I think there is a move for them to make just based on where their current salary is at and all the wealth of picks that they have from the Paul George trade and Russell Westbrook trade. One player that I think they should target as we get close to the deadline, just where their team is at right now, is Laurie Markkinen. I think that would give them another big that can help stretch the floor, someone that can score, and honestly, someone that I think is capable enough to pass out of a double team to get wide open shots for shooters. I think the Thunder have the potential to go on a run, maybe even go to the Western Conference Finals or even NBA Finals. My thought with them would be, uh, can Shea consistently be that top guy for a month-long stretch? I believe he's shown promise in the regular season, but I believe it may be a little too more premature for them to go on that run quite this year. But I still think they are one of the more exciting teams in the league to watch, and I am excited to see what they do with the future, not only with the salary that they have to trade, but also with the wealth of draft picks that they've accumulated over the years. In my last category, I only have one team, and this will probably come as a surprise to a lot of people. They are at first in the Western Conference right now. It's the Minnesota Timberwolves. If we looked at them at the beginning of the year, I don't know how many people would have picked or would have expected them to be at the top this year. I would say they are the surprise team of the year. Anthony Edwards, he had an impressive run in the World Cup. He was arguably Team USA's best player, and he's kept that same attitude for the Timberwolves this year. He's made it a point that he's number one guy. 
Carl Anthony Towns has humbly accepted that number two role, which I think kind of inhibited them from maybe being as good as they should have been last year. Rudy Gobert is an elite rim protector again. And yeah, they have a lot of really good pieces around them to win a lot of games and maybe win a playoff series. My concern with them is similar to the Thunder, but maybe to a larger degree with where I think they're going to match up with being the first seed. They potentially are even going to have to play a team like the Lakers or even Memphis in the first round. Teams that have kind of struggled off and on that are going to be potentially in that play-in zone where I think they would potentially bring a very difficult first-round matchup for them. I believe Anthony Edwards is one of the future faces of the league, but I believe in general teams that go on to kind of win that first title or go on a playoff run have struggled or gone through some adversity in the past. I don't think the Wolves are quite there yet. I think they are a year away, and I think there are still potentially a trade or two for them to make to get to that spot. That brings us to the end of the first episode of the AM Basketball Breakdown. I really enjoyed recapping the Celtics and Lakers Christmas Day game and also giving my thoughts on the NBA season so far. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. If you could leave a comment, a rating of the show, and subscribe, that would be much appreciated. I'm already looking forward to future episodes as we continue to talk about the NBA and have basketball fans on to talk about their favorite players or moments from league history. This is Adam Miller signing off. See you next time.